Hi everyone, it's Sharna. I'm going to be taking a break from the Lead and Follow podcast for a few weeks here at the end of the year. And before I do that, I wanted to thank you all so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it. This episode is officially episode number 50 of the Lead and Follow podcast, and it means so much to me that you've made it a part of your life in some way. So thank you. Season two has been a deep dive into the learning and teaching of leadership and followership together, both in university classrooms and in professional trainings of all kinds. And I would love to hear your feedback. What have you enjoyed most in season two? What have you learned? What questions do you still have? And what would you like to hear on the podcast next year? Please send me your thoughts by email or on LinkedIn. And before I wish you a very happy new year, I have a few lead and follow thoughts of my own. So this episode is not an interview. Instead, I have three ideas to share and three small challenges for you in early 2024. Here's idea number one. If you have ever used the word followership in a conversation, you'll know that for the vast majority of people, it's either a totally new concept or it's something undesirable. So those of us who are interested in making space for an education and a method of training that uses this term followership, maybe in the interest of ethical use of power, maybe in the interest of better decision-making, or a whole host of other positive outcomes. We know very well that a big part of our job is to help others begin to understand what followership means and to see the followership role differently. But sitting here today at the end of season two, it actually feels really clear to me that changing an assumption about followership or even defining followership for the first time for someone needs to happen at the same time as we change an assumption about leadership or redefine leadership. In other words, these concepts we hold in our minds about leading and following, they need to change together or they won't really change at all. Another way of thinking about this is that right now, most of us have internalized the notion that the leadership role is the most important or the most influential of the two. And that even if followership is happening, it's still secondary. So even if that belief about leadership is a really positive one, like it's serving others, empowering others, supporting a mission, as long as you still have that superior-inferior construct in your mind, you will not fully arrive at the shift of perspective that really transforms how teams work together how organizational cultures generate and regenerate themselves. So I'm going to give you what I feel is the most direct and effective way of changing these concepts for yourself and others. And it's going to sound ridiculously simple. So here's challenge number one. Say the words lead and follow when you're making plans with your team members or collaborators. The words lead and follow or leadership and followership are abstract, so they can literally mean anything. And this is both a profound opportunity and a proverbial minefield. When you use these terms to describe specific tasks on specific projects, you make them concrete and real for yourself and for everyone you're working with. You develop 
common language and common understanding. And you live just a little bit more in the same reality. If you'd like to see an example of articulating leadership and followership skills side by side, please pick up a copy of my book, Lead and Follow, or download the free skill sheet on my website. I hope it will inspire your own concretization of the leading and following roles. Okay, time for idea number two. This is something I've been exploring after reading the book Unbound, A Woman's Guide to Power by Kasha Urbaniak. Urbaniak describes the roles of leader and follower in terms of states of attention. You're holding the leading role when your attention is fully out on the other person, making them feel safe, seen, and guided. And you're holding the following role when your attention is fully in on yourself, on your own perceptions, feelings, and needs. This is, of course, my understanding of this concept. Please do read the book if you're interested in this framework. The bottom line here is that both states of attention are positive and natural. And when we have good body awareness, we can consciously shift from one to the other. I find this definition of leading and following compelling. One, because it's an embodied practice. We can feel it when it's working well. And we can also feel it when it's not working And two, because it locates power not in one role or the other, but in the exchange between the two roles, like running a circuit of electricity. This framework of attention also helped me understand how crucial it is that our bodies are congruent with the role that we're wanting to perform. So in other words, if we want to lead, our body needs to communicate non-verbally that we are in fact leading, meaning we are in fact establishing safety, and guiding others. If we want to follow, on the other hand, our bodies likewise need to communicate non-verbally that we are receptive, that we are willing to give of ourselves to serve or act in ways that are appropriate to the situation. If we lack this bodily congruence in either role or both, conversations will almost always feel awkward And it might be even difficult to communicate or understand one another. I'll give you an example to make this a little bit more concrete. You go to your boss's office for a one-on-one meeting. And she is sitting behind a stack of folders and typing feverishly on a laptop. She doesn't look up when she calls you in. And after a minute or two, she asks you what you want to talk about. Now, even though she has the leadership title in this exchange, she's not really behaving as a leader for you because her attention is mostly on herself, on her own tasks, perhaps on her own anxious feelings about what she's doing. So on a body level, this might feel uncomfortable for you as the employee, the follower, because if we use the states of attention here as a reference, the leader is supposed to establish safety and guide the interaction. And your boss right now is not doing that. If she continues not to do that, the conversation may just remain superficial and somewhat scripted. And you might not feel much like sharing about your own work or your own concerns or ideas with her. Now, if you're a savvy follower and you've been listening to the Lead and Follow podcast, you may understand that it's totally normal for your boss to sometimes follow you and for you to sometimes lead her. So let's take another look at this scenario. 
What if you, in this moment, the savvy follower, realize what's happening and say something like, hey, Laura, I notice you seem really busy. Is everything okay? A question like that, which is basically you taking the lead for a minute, might be enough for her to shift fully into the follower role. It's like you give her permission to feel what's going on with herself. Maybe she takes a deep breath and shares with you that actually she just got a bunch of extra work dumped on her desk from her boss or that her kid is sick at home. But either way, now you're both congruent. You're leading with your attention on her and she's following with her attention on herself. From there, she might find it pretty natural to then take the lead back, turn the conversation around back to you and guide the rest of the meeting so that you can return to your follower role and focus on your own needs and interests as an employee. Now, this business with switching your attention, I'm not ready to say it's a magic formula, but I do believe it's something worth experimenting with, and it could be a very strategic and subtle way to work with leading and following without telling anyone what you're doing, especially in organizations with very complex levels and titles. So challenge number two is sneaky. It's simply to start noticing either at work or at home where or when your attention shifts from self to other. When do you tend to focus on yourself, on your own feelings, needs, and interests? And when you do that, do you really give yourself 100% permission to be in that state? And then also, when do you tend to focus on observing, guiding, directing? And when you do that, are you truly making it feel safe for those people to be around you and to be guided by you? Okay, we have arrived at idea number three. I've sort of saved the stickiest one for last. And although I know there's already a lot of work out there on this topic, It's something that's really been coming home for me recently as I talk with my own clients and friends and reflect on the real world implications of how we lead and follow one another. And this really crystallized for me after a conversation I had recently with one of my season one guests, Pedro Portela, a coach and consultant in Portugal. So if you missed his episode last year, please do go back and listen. It's wonderful. Idea number three is about the hierarchical structure built into most organizations by design and function, and how this structure tends to isolate the people in top leadership positions from their followers, especially from the lowest tier of followers. Just think about the pyramid structure of a typical organization with the executives at the top, mostly talking to one another and everyone else in various rows below. The CFO does not interact much with the entry-level engineer and probably does not think that they need to. But when we human beings are isolated and don't interact with very many other people, or when we only interact with a few of the same people over time, it's very easy to start losing some of our sense-making capacity. Our reality gets narrower and narrower. I'll add a little aside here just to explain that in a nutshell, sense-making is how we make meaning of what we experience, of what's happening around us. And it's the primary way we make decisions. 
Now consider that the biggest and most far-reaching decisions are usually made by those few people at the top with almost zero input from those below. And that's the crucial point. It's actually not a terrible thing if the few people make most of the decisions, as long as they are exceptionally well-informed decisions. As long as those leaders have a very strong grasp of what's happening inside and outside their organizations. Because if they don't, they literally cannot make good decisions, especially on behalf of hundreds or thousands of other people who will be affected by those decisions. Because without enough input and reality checking, their sense-making capacity goes down. Now, some organizations have realized this isolation by design problem and have built intentional strategies to keep top leaders connected to everyone else. And there are a lot of ways to make sure that enough people with a wide enough variety of perspectives are reality checking and making sure that what their leaders are perceiving is accurate. Followership at its best keeps leadership connected to reality on the ground. The followership role can point out blind spots, call attention to things that have been missed or overlooked, and can vastly improve decision-making. I don't need to tell you that we're living in an era of news bubbles, disinformation, and a rather shameless narrative warfare. So you don't need to look too far for examples of how a lack of reality checking can be dangerous when making decisions. The human mind is literally wired to invent an explanation or a story for anything and to convince you that it's true. That's your sense-making capacity. We need to understand what's going on around us. And so that is the mind's job. But if you're holding an official leadership role and you want to make good decisions, you absolutely need to mitigate this isolation risk for yourself. And the best way to do that is to interact with people who will be radically honest with you and remind you of what you're missing on a regular basis. And you also need those people to be representative of all the levels of your organization. In 2021, I had the opportunity to approach this challenge in a pretty interesting way. Our team set up a program called Letters to Leaders using qualitative diagnostics instead of surveys to get deep data from the whole organization, all levels, up to the executive level while protecting everyone's anonymity. I'll link to more details on that program in the show notes. And I also encourage you to check out the season one episodes with my two primary collaborators on that project, Brian Rook and Alanda Salas. Both of those episodes are fabulous. So back to sense-making and decision-making. Challenge number three is to think about ways that you might design for more connection among levels in your place of work. You might not be at the top level. You may not be at the bottom level. You're probably somewhere in the middle. And it's actually not necessary to connect all the levels, but try to think of ways you could connect as many levels as far apart as you can, just as a creative exercise. If you do take me up on any of these challenges in the new year, I would absolutely love to hear about it. Please send me an email or a message on LinkedIn. And finally, if you know any individuals or especially teams or groups who are looking for leadership training or coaching this coming year and have a curiosity about followership and collaboration, 
please do encourage them to order my book, Lead and Follow, The Dance of Inspired Teamwork, or to reach out to me directly. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you in the new year.